Okay, good evening, everyone. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. I'm very pleased to welcome you to the Green Room in the Veterans Building here in San Francisco this Wednesday evening, February 10th, 2010. And this program this evening is going to celebrate the world premiere of Christopher Wielden's Ballet Ghosts. I think we have a hit on our hands again. Um, and we're going to be able to get into the points of view, as it were, of ballet ma master Anita Pachotti and the um, costume designer from the design team, Mark Zappone. Got it? So we will be um, sort of introducing them in a little more fully in a minute or so. But um, I need to uh, remind us all that the points of view programs, as well as the Meet the Artist interviews, are produced by the Center for Dance Education, directed by Charles Chip McNeil, and administrated by our adult education coordinator, Cecilia Beam, whom we always are grateful for the work she does. These programs, as most of you are aware, are recorded for possible podcasting. And of course, we always like you to go to the ballet's website, sfballet.org, look for the podcasts, look for scheduling, look for upcoming programs, look for behind the scenes information. It's a gold mine. And now I think we need to move on to actually talking about program two. I want to start by just sharing a few things about the other pieces on the program before we really get into ghosts because I'm hoping that will be a rich, rich discussion. Um, concluding the program actually is a revival of Company B the choreography by Paul Taylor, and of course the wonderful songs sung by the Andrews sisters. And here we have just a few shots taken this week during the dress rehearsal. <clears throat> There's Liz Minor in the center and Lorena Feijo on the left and some members of the ensemble. Here is uh, Sarah Van Patten. And I'm going to blank on the song that she danced, the solo. Um, Anita? Uh, there will be another. I can dream, can't I? Okay. The other one is There Will Never Be Another You, but that was later. Okay. Um, I can dream, can't I? It was beautiful. And of course, Gennady Nedgevin doing the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. And it's just such a treat to see him burst out and do that. And here's Lorena doing the rum and Coca-Cola. <laughs> Fabulous. Isn't that a great picture? <laughs> it's just, oh. And then um, actually the program opens with a revival of Opus 19, The Dreamer. Uh, it's interesting in this, which is Helgi Thomason's 25th year, the silver anniversary year, that um, they elected to bring back Opus 19, The Dreamer, which was one of the new works introduced to San Francisco Ballet, his very first season here, 1986, and it was reprised the following year. Hasn't been seen here since. Um, 
it was the, the role of the dreamer, this, the solo role, was actually created for Barishnikov, but Helgi stepped into the role very soon after the premiere, and apparently the story is he learned the part very quickly and did it, you know, in a day, one of those stories. Um, but he identifies with the piece, and so it's kind of neat that we've brought it back this season. The music is the Prokofiev Violin Concerto, and um, it was, it's just a very lovely, dreamlike work. And here are just some shots of the ensemble. <coughs> I'd be just curious, is anyone here who was here 25, 24 years ago who actually remembers seeing it? Yeah, we have quite a few people. Be interesting to reflect on how the company's changed in 25 years. Or how well a work is preserved. That's good, a good point. on now to the ballet ghosts. Um, obviously the choreographer is Christopher Wielden. The music is Kip Winger and that's its own interesting facet. I'm going to be asking Anita about to, to maybe fill us in a little bit more about that. But at this moment let's switch gears. Let me do a little further introduction <laughs> of Anita Pachotti and Mark Zappone. Let's start with Anita who is really an old friend but um, you have been associated with San Francisco Ballet in a historic sort of way at this point. Do you want to, you're on, go ahead. <laughs> well, it's been many years. Uh, <laughs> I think it's about 41, 42, mm -hmm. 1968. So uh, I always say I never had a real job because <laughs> <laughs> this, this has been it, you know, and it was what I, I loved doing and was fortunate enough to to be hired in, an, in pretty serendipitous situations, situations. so um, I'm still consider myself lucky to be here. And you have had the role of dancer par excellence and ballet master and character dancer. And of course, we have seen you already this season. Will we see you again later in the season on stage? Uh, yes, in, in Romeo and Juliet, I have the role of the nurse to play in that one. Not one of your famous mother roles. She's, she's quite a mother figure, in, in fact, in, in that story. She's more of a mother figure to Juliet, I think, than, than her own mother. So I, I, that, at least the way I see it, and I mm -hmm. uh, kind of play it that way. We're joking a little bit. It's sort of an in-joke between us that... Um, Anita's favorite role was the wicked stepmother and Still is. <laughs> um, you're, well, let's introduce Mark here. Mark is part of the design team, which I'm learning to appreciate, really, um, working with Christopher Wielden. So thank you very much, Mark, for joining us. It's my pleasure. Um, I think what would be fun for us to hear and we'll just bounce back and forth here. Oh, you know what? We're going to look at a picture. There we go. And Mark was saying he hadn't even seen these pictures yet. So, yeah. um, And we can go back and forth. So I'm going to go through them just so you can actually look at them. Is there anyone here tonight who saw the performance last night? A few people. Okay. 
so you know what we're talking about, and everyone else has got the treat in store for them. That's the last one. I like this one because it really does show the costumes well. Um, Mark, my first question for you is a fairly typical one. I'd like to hear about how does one become a costume designer in theater in general and in ballet in particular? So do you want to start there? Well, one doesn't become one. One is born as one. <laughs> I actually started out in, in college in architecture, interior design, and got into set design and theater design, and then just kind of segued into costume design. And I was working more in theater when I first got out of college, and as the story goes, I was working in a local theater in Seattle. I'm from Seattle. And I got a call from Pacific Northwest Ballet, the company there, and I happened to be the one that answered the phone. <laughs> it was in a costume shop. The phone rang. I answered it, and they said, do you want to come? We need someone to come and work for the ballet. So I said I would do it. So that was how I got into uh, the ballet that way. And then the, the rest is really uh, you know, a life learning experience on the job training. Uh, mm -hmm. I uh, had great mentors there in Seattle, Kent, France, Kent Stoll and Francia Russell, who were the directors there for many years. Uh, and truly it's uh, work, work involving watching the dance and meeting with dancers, talking with them, trying to always make them feel comfortable is our big goal. I think the, uh, you just touched on where I would go with my next question. It's pretty obvious you want your dancers to be um, dressed, and you may be in a, in a story ballet. Mm -hmm. You have a very clear idea. They need to look like mm -hmm. somebody. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm um, very intrigued by the concept of designing for abstract dance mm -hmm. and theater in general, but where does an idea come from when it's just dancers on the stage? How does that begin? Uh, it's, it just comes. <laughs> it is definitely through, actually for me, it's actually observing the rehearsals, mm -hmm. and I think with this process, with Christopher Wielden, he actually did have he wanted to set it in something. He just give you some... some they to they tried to give the, the ballet his piece some parameters, and it, it kind of got... I think it started with the set designer as far as a sculptural uh, piece within the, the space, and it turned out to be the, a ship, and maybe it's... It, anyway, it turned out that his idea was that maybe this is a little bit about the t people on the Titanic, and the Titanic people are now underwater. It's all these years later. They're still living underwater, but uh, I think that's kind of just how it developed. And for me, that sent a parameter as, as far as a time frame, just like uh, we decided it was for me, like 1911. And I did my research with the, with the movie, The Titanic, uh, just to get an idea of an image or a time period uh, silhouette. And then Christopher really was like, well, I mean, starting like we just said, well, let's try with a long, a long dress. And that's in itself is a complication for any dancer to have to deal with that, especially if they rehearse for a number of weeks in just their leotards. And the minute that you have to put a, a long skirt on it, it creates a new uh, challenge. So he gave me all the parameters of, well, they have to do this, they have to move, they have to turn upside down, and then they have to look great. Well, that's kind of in any, any ballet, they have to do everything. <laughs> so uh, it just 
developed from there, I experimented with various fabrics and combinations of fabrics to try to get an element of my idea was that they were that their life was drained out of them, so that there's more of a sense of color on the top, and that it fades out into white, uh, and also not only through color but through opacity that uh, you can't see through here. But as it got lower, it became more transparent. You can kind of you can see that somewhat there in this photo here, definitely in That's that photo. That's a good one. Yeah. And then we, uh, and so part of it also is you can't just. It's hard with solid things. How do you make something look transparent just like that? So I'm just going to show you quickly here. I guess I'll just get Julie, can we turn the lights up just a notch? This is one of the dresses here. And my way of getting to that sense of uh, opacity, at the, or sorry, transparency at the bottom was to create two different fabrics. And I have to say, at certain times, you never know exactly what's going to happen with something in a project like this until you actually make the garment. Because originally Chris was saying, well, you know, we need some drawings. And so I did some drawings, but actually the experimentation of, what, of the fabrics is where this garment came to life. And I have to say, sometimes it surprises yourself, too. Myself also, even if I'm making it, it's like you get at the end, you go, wow, that, that looks pretty damn good. It worked, you know? So the top of it is more uh, drapey on their hips, and then the bottom is a little bit of a stiffer quality of fabric that's more transparent. And I have to say, it's incredibly floaty. And like I said, you didn't, I didn't know that that was going to happen until you actually make the garment up. And so it created the sense of, I know the piece is called Ghost, and it's not, uh, it's more about their souls and stuff. And so it is very transparent. And uh, so in the movement, and you don't always see that until actually a dancer is moving in the garment. And Chris, Chris being in New York, and I live and work out of Seattle, I actually made one of the mock-up garments, and I flew to New York and had a meeting with him there and showed him ideas and sketches and colors, but I actually brought the garment. So for me, it wasn't necessarily drawing with crayon or pencils. It was drawing with fabric, and so I brought the real thing to him. He was rehearsing uh, with some dancers at, uh, at the, the Met there, so we happened to put them on the dancers, and they moved around, and that's kind of just where that gave birth to what um, we ended up with now. So that's uh, the process. Fascinating. Um, and I know it's different with every piece. It is different uh, with every piece. Yeah. Every, every piece has its own challenges, its own desires. Uh, and I have to say, a lot of times you do a lot of uh, cerebral and thinking about what it could be, and you talk about it, and, and that may never actually come across to the audience, all that research that you did, but the end result is it's fulfilling for you. You feel like you've told a story within yourself and also within the garment itself. So because we are... I feel like all of us, we're working towards an art form that is uh, live, obviously, so it's always ever-changing, and it's very interesting to try to uh, create something without saying anything, because <laughs> dance is just movement, so you really, uh, or there's no text written up, uh, the reason I did this was this and this, so you just create a, 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 move, a mood, and you hope that that comes across to the audience. Is this your first piece to collaborate with Christopher Wildham? It's my first piece to collaborate with Christopher Wildham. I know him for several years. I met him originally here when I was doing a piece with Christopher Stoll about eight years for the, I guess it was the kind of the Young Choreographers Workshop mm -hmm. here. And Chris did a piece of C Pictures at that point, and I was working with Christopher Stoll. So um, that's when I got to know him then. I've known him over the years, and I have to say I've asked him several times. Uh, so, when, you know, it would be great to work together. And so uh, he was... <laughs> He actually was in Seattle working on a, or staging a piece there that he had already done, and I was uh, said I gave him a ride to the airport, so I waited to the last minute. <laughs> it was in the car, and I said, Chris, you know, I always still want to work with you. He goes, I know, I know. So, 
But then he said, maybe there's this project in San Francisco that we work out. And then that phone call came, and I answered it. So wow. it turned out a really nice story. Well, thank you. Well, let's, I want to back up uh-huh. to, um, to the inception of the piece and sort of involve Anita here. Um, back up even further than this piece. You have a fairly long working relationship with Christopher Wilden. Yes, I was uh, originally the, the ballet master for his first one, Sea Pictures, and al- almost everyone mm-hmm. since, many, Continuum, Polyphonia, um, the one we just did um, within the golden hour. Uh, so I, I've gotten to know him as a choreographer pretty well and uh, learned a lot about w- how he works, what his, what his ideas are, and it's fascinating. As every, working with everyone is fascinating. Uh, Ghosts, I think, um, is interesting to start with the music for, for Christopher's story. Um, he did not know Kip Winger. I think he knew of him. He was a rock musician in the 80s and maybe even in the 70s. I don't know. I didn't know. I don't. But he was in the Alice Cooper uh, band. And uh, long hair. He was, he was quite, you know, well-known and... Uh, did that whole scene and formed his own band for a while called Winger and I think it kind of went its natural way kind of died out and for 17 years he's been studying classical composition and this is the first uh, symphony or this is a symphony for string orchestra it's the first one he has composed he sent Christopher uh, probably two years or so ago a small section of it and it was only six minutes long, and Christopher t- that's like, yeah, yeah, it'd be wonderful, I'd love to. Didn't listen to it right away, but finally did, and really, really liked it, but it was short. Six minutes is too short. So he called him and said, could you, could you think you could lengthen this piece? And he expected a little, you know, little score or some kind of uh, maybe synthesized rendition. He received in the mail a complete orchestration and a CD, which was orchestrated as well. Uh, Kip had hired an orchestra and recorded the work so Christopher could see it, hear it. And he, I guess he did hear it and see it at the same time and said, yeah, I want to do that. So that was a pretty crazy story. That's, um, it's always interesting to us as to when, and when does the music enter the creative process. And I know sometimes... Um, our good friend Val Canaparoli talks about how he just listens and listens and listens until he finds the piece that seems to match the inspiration in his mind. Um, so this really sounds like it was just a whole different yeah. track that it came in on. You know, and, and I wish I knew. I, had, I, I should have asked this question, but I, I'm not sure if the music was already entitled Ghosts. or I think it was, too. And the it has a lot of these sort of you know, scary, sort of scary uh, things going through it. And I think that that's where Christopher took, uh, took mm-hmm. you know, wing from that, from the music, from what it sounded like, and the image of the ghosts, and just went on from there. Having worked with Christopher all, all these years, um, have you seen him take different approaches to the new works he's done that might be kind of remarkable in any way? Uh, actually, I, I would say that there's almost more similarity mm-hmm. in my memory mm-hmm. about 
his works, and not, not in the creations themselves, not in the steps or the style, but his process is mm -hmm. uh, very immediate. In, it happens in the studio, and it's remarkable to, to be there and watch it. Christopher is one of the best dancers I've ever seen in my life. He was a, a Varna gold medalist, you know, Prito's on which one? He was phenomenal, phenomenal dancer, and he still is, even though he retired a long time ago, maybe 10 years. But he can do absolutely everything, including anything a, a girl does. He can do point work, I mean, all, in tennis shoes, you know, but it, he can balance for an hour. He can turn in any position. He, he's up, he's down. It's modern, it's classical, it's inventive, and it's always very difficult. And the thing that's fu kind of fun and frustrating sometimes to the dancers is that he, can, he does everything better than they can. <laughs> <laughs> so they're yeah. aspiring to this, this ideal the entire time. And, and when he asks for something that they may say, well, that's awkward or that's difficult for me, and he'll just do it. <laughs> it's kind of like, well... Plus, there's a ballet lesson in every session. He's an, a fantastic ballet master. He has his eye is is just perfect. He's such a perfectionist that he sees a flaw back there, you know. Even and he'll and he'll see what's wrong with this one's pirouette over there, and what and this one isn't pointing her feet, and this one and these are not related to his specific dance. They're general dance observations and teaching lessons. Your eyes, you don't know what you're, what are you looking at? Where's your focus? Where's your head position? And so I, I, my eyes go like this because we don't, we don't, you don't see that all the time. We're usually in such a push to get everything on the stage as long as everybody knows the step and they're in the right place and they're in a costume, let's go. You know, but he demands a tremendous amount of detail uh, in his work. So mm -hmm. he starts with this, he starts with a certain level and then every rehearsal there's another detail, another layering, another uh, contouring of a specific step or of a spacing situation uh, that is ongoing until the night of the performance and was this time. And after the performance, too. <laughs> oh, oh. Ooh, that's an interesting little sidelight. So what, the curtains come down, everybody's cheering, and they're all relieved, and then he, he appears and... Actually, this time he was quite happy. It was a little bit about uh, tempo and a little bit about the uh, the set piece and its final descent at the end of the piece and what we might do about that. Um, that it, there wasn't a lot. I've, there, there have been other instances that were uh, much wordier. <laughs> um, so he comes into the studio and he begins his rehearsals. We, I feel as though I see. Um, certain dancers who seem to be featured in his works. And I wonder if that's, well, I don't want to put words in, your an, in the mouth of your answer, but is that something that he, um, does he tend toward a particular group of dancers? Does he pretend toward a type of dancer? Um, what, well, does he, what does he ask for when he's beginning the casting? I think I would say uh, the movers, uh, the not too strictly bound by their classicism, the ones who, who are newer, even sometimes to the country, you, you know, who have been very schooled in rigorous Russian training and, and haven't really broken out yet, are a little lost because this is a, a, a way beyond first position, second position. It, 
and, it, and it's a, a much more uh, mm. demanding use of the torso. A lot more bending is usually required, uh, and a lot of physicality and attack. Uh, beyond that, I really would just say that people have their taste and the ones they like, the ones they relate to as people. He loves to, he, he must have the men uh, who are going to be excellent partners. Um, yeah, and there is kind of a little troop. There's, there's kind of a wielding troop within the company. And once a choreographer, this is very common, is familiar with a certain group of dancers, they tend to gravitate toward the same people because they can see them when they're thinking of their idea. That's who they see. It's not always the case. They might come in and pick an absolutely new person. Happens all the time as well. But um, his group is, is a, you know, it's, it's shaped. It's not, it's not defined in a fence, but it, but it has a shape within the company. Movers, movers, and, and people who are willing to take a chance, men who are willing to go way off balance, turn in crazy positions, get up and down off the floor quickly, <laughs> not complain ever. <laughs> um, we're looking at Teet and uh, Sofiane, I think. Is that? Yeah. Um, and oh, they were stunning. And then we have uh, Damien and Yuanwan. I would say we've seen that couple in every work he's done recently. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really uh, just well, they're gorgeous in whatever they do, but they have a, a very nice. Uh, like clo a close relationship when you watch it being created. You can see that they love each other. Damien and Yuan Yuan love each other. They both love Christopher. And then the piece that comes out is, is very collaborative. You know, mm -hmm. they have a lot of input. Uh, they have a lot of fun in the process. It's, it's very different from, say, if he's working with somebody new for the first time and he'll, he'll hit the wall and he'll be frustrated and then there'll be a little tension. Never anything like that. Mm. It's, just, it's just this great friendship, collaborating, mm -hmm. you know, together. Um, this piece specifically, does he walk in and present an intellectual framework for them, or does that evolve? He gave, a, he gave a little bit about, because he already knew about the set piece, he knew that there was, he, he, he knew there would be something like maybe a, a hull, hull of a ship, and uh, one of the first things he created was a group standing all together and just as the, as the piece opens, just looking up at it and holding for a long time for a first stage picture of a ballet. It's a long time, 15 seconds maybe they, they look at it. And um, then he explained to them a little bit about what he was thinking. He didn't go into it very deeply or terribly seriously, but you could see right away that he was creating very watery images. A, there was a lot of, um, just a lot of flow, a lot of tumbling, a lot of circling, uh, even ro rolling, you know, and legs waving, waving things. So they were very, very clearly watery images that he was working on and with. And groups that move uh, kind of almost like school of fish sometimes, in, in a way, you know, I, I would see that. But you know what? It's, it's up to everybody who watches to, s to see, allow themselves to see what they see. So what I see and what I see last night or what I'll see tonight is different from what anyone else will see, but it's really fun to talk about. And I, you know, I have a character for everyone. You know, these were, these seem to be the lovers to me. And Sofiane is 
bit of an angry soul. <laughs> she's mad that the whole thing ha happened, you know. <laughs> so yeah. She's mad about something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the rest are, are, they're just the souls. They're just souls that are down there, you know. You have to see what you see. One of the things that I learned last night, I was just delighted to be able to meet the other two members of the design team, the scenic designer and the lighting designer. And they actually said that the initial conversations were of, of a more literal idea and that as they worked, as over months really, it got more and more abstract. And that the piece itself, if you didn't read the program notes, if you didn't uh, see the title, um, it would stand alone as a lovely dance piece. Um, I want to come back to Mark. Um, the, you talked about how you had um, created the skirt. I was trying to imagine seeing the piece without a dress, in other words, just in a unitard, and it would have been a very different piece. Just no, I think that's absolutely true, and uh, I think it, uh, it's something that accentuates the movement or carries on afterwards. That's why the dresses actually they seem to float at a certain point. Uh, after the movement is done, and so it's just, just this great, like a, uh, a hazy image, actually, after it goes on. So it does kind of continue the movement, which I think, right. again, is something that just happens when you do it, and it looks, it really works for the piece. And I think for me, that's the most uh, thing that we all work towards, is so that it works with the piece, mm -hmm. and that the, there's a collaboration also with the movement, and that the choreographer is happy, but that it works with the piece and isn't against anybody. And I think the dancers have said that to me, which is wonderful, that they always, they feel comfortable and nothing is restricting them and they feel like they, they, that it's helping them with their movement mm -hmm. a little. And they feel beautiful. It's so, it's such a big A plus to you <laughs> that they, yeah. they can't wait to put their costumes on. Mm -hmm. You saw Lorena came up to rehearsal this afternoon and she had her dress on. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, right. it was partly to feel it out, but I know she enjoyed seeing how it looked. She was very happy. And they have wonderful hairstyles, too. Yeah. Little period uh, p hairstyles, but have also a wet, t wet look. Not curls or anything. No, they're straight. These pieces yeah. used to be curly, but now they're straight. <laughs> did and you very, design very good. the hairdos? Well, the hair is something, yeah, that I did my research on it also and requested. They have a, a team of people there that work in hair and makeup. And um, I've actually done hair myself also, so I could kind of go in and show what I was after and m maybe to get more of a texture and a sense of dimension. And I always like a side part just because it has a, a little bit more movement to it and to take a little bit away to give them a character as opposed to a ballerina with, with a, a beautiful tight bun, just to give them a little bit more movement. And with Sofian, we ended up letting her hair be down. She's the only one, and she has a lot of turns, and so she was like, well, I'll try it, but if it gets in my eyes, but she was great. It really actually worked <laughs> with her. And I think it helps the dancers. They take on a different character, too. And like uh, Yuan Yuan, when she came out for dress rehearsal, it looked great. And then last night, she looked gorgeous. It was like, and she's thrilled to like, oh my god, I feel kind of cool. I have this new character. And so I think it's, a, it's something that transports them to a different place also and, and adds to it. I mean, we're always hope that that works for them. I never want to do anything that's against them. And so it's always, I always make sure that they feel comfortable and say, you know, as long as you feel comfortable, if it doesn't get in your eyes. And like Lorena, she was so sweet. She was like, I don't care. I'm going to make it work. I, I'm so beautiful. I don't care. I'll make this one work. So 
That's um, an interesting question, um, sort of removed from the specific ballet, but um, just in the costume design and, and realization world, um, how do you accommodate, how, I guess this is past the designs, how do you accommodate different casts? Do they, are you involved in that at all or have we now moved into the production uh, shop? Uh, no, definitely initially uh, they presented me with two different casts of the principles that will definitely go on and so we ended up making each set their own costume. Uh, it's wonderful here in San Francisco, you ha there's a wonderful budget so that you can actually do that with, for the company. And uh, I have to say dancers are really similar sometimes and these dresses and, and same with the men are based on a leotard, the women, so it, they can pretty much go for a lot of different sizes and uh, it's, there's not a huge variety in sizes. But we do look at that and most of this was about the length and so I've made extras for a second cast of people too. But we do look at that definitely and you never know who's actually who's going to go on. I mean there were several different days with this, in this period that maybe Damien was going to go on or his back was out and so Vitor was going to jump in and so he had to make sure that everybody had something. Mm -hmm. And you, there's you know, great stories about famous injuries and you had to change something between intermission and the next act and you just do it. You just do it. You just have a second set of hooks. <laughs> you do have a, no, you have 32 sets of hooks. And the famous, the, you know, Nutcracker, the, uh, even in, in, in all the companies, the, the snowflake girls, the, the back of their dress is like rows and rows of hooks. And it goes from one to the other. So that's yeah. what you do. I remember those days. <laughs> um, Anita, what is your role now going forward? For ghosts? Mm -hmm. Well, since Christopher isn't uh, here, he's gone home today, I will be rehearsing the, the piece and the, for the rest of the, of the run. Uh, we had that rehearsal this afternoon and replacing people who are, who are uh, injured or ill. We're on about the fourth partner for one, Lorena's section. <laughs> Sometimes you have a string of luck. You have four people learning it and you get to the time and there's none for one reason or another. So um, we are teaching a new boy, new, new man, Guy Amico, really nice opportunity for him. Um, it's a trio. It's the same trio that you saw with Sofiane, Tiet, and Brett Bauer. And Lorena's trio is going, it was always Vitor Luis uh, and Guy Amico. And Vitor as well was given two assignments, which is kind of interesting and contrary to the theory of Christopher's group because he never saw Vitor before. And in this case, he gave him not just one, but two roles to, to perform in his ballet. And he'll be doing the pas de deux with... Um, Maria Kotchakova this evening in her shorter dress. <laughs> yeah, I would have to say they were all similar sizes unless you line up, um, let's say, Sophie-Anne next to Maria. Yeah, yes. they are pretty similar. <laughs> so then I'll, I'll be responsible for, for watching each performance and making, you know, taking mental notes on what, uh, you know, what wasn't right, if the spacing got off or someone was ahead or up behind in the music, if the music was getting too fast or too slow, something wrong with the lighting cue, the set piece, any of, any of that is my responsibility now. And uh, communicating all my needs to Alan Villarreal who coordinates the rehearsals. Um, so, and also hopefully a little time spent uh, more on the covers or the understudies you might call them, but the, the people who are faithfully learning the parts in case they have to go on, but often in the case of a premiere like this, and especially with someone like Christopher who f 
polishes and polishes and perfects. He can only use one group of people. There isn't enough time. So the, what we call the covers or the alternates haven't had very much time. So if at all possible, I'll devote some time to making sure that we have a ballet if someone else goes out. Um, when or will Christopher come back and look at the piece? Will that, does that ever happen? It, it, he would if he were here, but he's such a busy man and he travels a lot, so that won't happen in this run, but this is the era of DVD, and he'll be sent probably every recording that we do. He'll watch it on, on our DVD recordings that we make. And if the piece, um, God willing, returns next season, would he come back, look at it again, cast it again, or have you? Uh, the same, same answer. He would if he, c he will if he can, even for a day or two. But he probably would trust us enough that we, that he will feel okay, uh, unless the cast changed so radically that he, you know, if, if it's the same people, he'll, he'll be fine with that. We're doing another piece of his this year that we've done before, it's called Rush. Mm -hmm. And I set that in the fall with a lot of brand new people and Christopher hasn't seen any of that one. Um, and apparently he's not gonna be able to come back to even watch, watch us put it on the stage. So that's the level of trust he has in, in San Francisco Ballet to handle his pieces, which is wonderful. Have you ever staged any of his works outside of San Francisco Ballet? I have, I took, uh, uh, the rush up to Oregon Valley Theater, and I, um, I in collaboration with um, Joanna Berman, who helped, and Damien Smith, who helped with the Parado section, and Joanna did some of the solo work, and I also did his carousel uh, for Ashley's directorship of the Joffrey Ballet a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask Mark the same question. Where, um, what happens to you now in relation to this work that it's hit the stage? Uh, I'll probably catch up on a little sleep. <laughs> uh, actually, I go back to, uh, to work tomorrow with my projects in Seattle. I work in the costume shop there for Pacific Northwest Ballet. Uh, we're building a new production of Coppelia for May with a wonderful Italian designer that we've been working with. So. I'll jump back into that project and then uh, whatever freelance projects I'll have on the side, too. Will you have any further relationship with ghosts? I hope so. Well, I, I mean, I would love to come and see it again. Uh, I think my work is, is, will be done when I leave here for it, but um, I'll be here in spirit. Do you... Um, <laughs> we um, are frequently asked the question, so I'll jump the gun, um, about... Um, copyrights and that kind of right. Do you have, I mean obviously when the work is performed it will say costumes designed by Mark Zappone and will you um, let's say it gets staged again five or seven years from now will they call you and say come help us with these costumes? Is there would no, no, I mean they will if there's an issue, I think they might, but I think actually also because not only did I design this piece, but myself and a team of mine uh, made the costumes too and constructed them. So there are points they might call you back and say, hey, we have this new piece and a person in the piece who's so different than this other person. Can you make another one? 
But um, as far as responsibilities, they make a faithful, and the people that work in the wardrobe department always try to keep everything in the best shape that they can. Of course, they'll try to keep it the, the faith towards what it, the originals were if the, something has to be remade. Um, and let's say um, Anita gets sent off to somewhere else to stage the work. Will you go there to make a whole new set of costumes? Well, I think there's a, yeah, a different budget. They, actually, a lot of times they might, uh, I think there's, they, he can't for three years or something. There's a, something in his contract that they can't stage the work somewhere else. But uh, they might rent the costumes from San Francisco Ballet. And if uh, they did a new, p a new production of it, they w there are rights that we have that they have to use the same style of costumes unless Christopher decides on something else. But they definitely stick with, as they do in many of the Balanchine ballets that I think a lot of people are aware of, that the ones that are designed way back in the 40s, we still all faithfully do rep reproductions of those certain ones. Have you, I'm curious now, have you ever had any of your costumes copied by a another company? Uh, See, I mean, that's, that's curious. It's a good question. I don't know. Because would you still have your name there as yes. designer? But right. would you then, would you want to approve what they had done with your Actually, I, I have work. had that. Actually, yeah. there was a, co a company in Australia that did a piece that I did in Seattle. And I, since I also made them, I sent them indications. Yeah, they, they contact you and you send them what's called, we call a Bible in the costume world. It's uh, the fabrics and the designs and the measurements and uh, sometimes they will interpret them the way they want, but I actually just send them the patterns that we did so that that can be faithfully re be reproduced that same way. So there is definitely a consideration about, yes, to keep with the originals. And many times, I myself working in a shop in Seattle, we are always reproducing other people's work. Sometimes the designer will come. Um, we'll have photos of the other productions that have been done. We always make them better. <laughs> and uh, So, yeah, there is some, some of that... Uh, the rights are there. I have one more question before we then open it up to the audience to ask questions. And that concerns working with the lights and with the lighting designer. Um, she was fascinating to listen to last night. And um, I'm curious to know if how the lighting is going to be designed is discussed earlier in the design process. Are you, do you have any say um, how you want your costumes to be lit? In other words, could you just sort of address the, the circle of collaboration there? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, the lighting aspect is really something that can only, you can talk about it till you're blue in the face, but it happens when they are there in the theater with the lights on, with the costumes in front of them. You talk about uh, I send them my swatches or sketches and to show them the colors that are going to be there, and I think they have an idea in their mind, and they certainly have discussed it with, with Christopher about what uh, mood they're trying to create. But um, And here in San Francisco, it's very fortunate. They had almost four rehearsals with costumes and lighting on stage. Uh, so she's painting at, at the moment, for the moment. There's You can do, like I said, talk about it, but once you're finally there, and with Christopher's eyes and with mine at certain points too, and I have to say, what she created is incredibly lush and glowy, and it's it's a yeah ethereal and everything. It's wonderful what she took from, and, and she'll say the same back to me. She goes, "Well, I can't do it unless I have something you know wonderful in front of me to light." And so it's a really uh, she brought to life what I had done also. 
Do you have any comment, Nina? No, it was just a wonderfully educational, fascinating process to watch again, and it always is. Uh, I, I do have first-hand information just about how Christopher behaves, and it, it's, it's good that you can tell the lighting designer and Christopher are good friends, like each other a lot, and he can turn to him and say, I hate it. Change it. <laughs> you know, there's no mincing of words. If it isn't right, it isn't right. It's too yellow. It's too this. It's too that. But um, it, that was kind of a fun thing. It wasn't. It wasn't frightening or upsetting at all. It was just how to get this done, and that you know. And the person who had to be pleased was Christopher Wielden, ultimately, you know, because that's that's his. It's his piece, and everybody else is working to to bring his piece, his vision to re, to reality. And he has to be very committed, uh, you know, to what what it should be in his mind for it to happen, and make that very clear to everyone around him. Well, we're going to open it up to questions now, and just as a reminder, we're going to repeat the question for the mm-hmm. podcast audience. Um, so I just in my line of sight right here. The question is, um, your involvement with hairstyle and makeup, um, obviously for the women, but does it extend to the men? No, absolutely. The men, they have hair and they have faces, and so we do... <laughs> no, we do. I, I did this time, definitely. We, uh, I did some research, again, from the movie The Titanic, and, or that time frame, and you're right, normally it doesn't. Normally the men aren't as involved because the women you can do more with them but we definitely had a look of ghoulish makeup or gaunt Christopher also really wanted that aspect that they were hollowed out and we gave him a specific hairstyle to do and uh, also them to have the wet look so yeah we did extend that to the men and I have to say sometimes with men's costumes itself they're not as always as interesting but I felt like this time really I feel like they're for me personally it's they're on an equal level with the women's costumes I did bring a man's costume, not that everybody, that was the question, but they also are uh, transparent in their own sense. My idea was that they were taken from the look, the front was of a tuxedo shirt from 1911. I put the stripes on them so this is all hand applied so that uh, they would have some sense of uh, opacity and then, but in the back, they're wonderful. You'll, I hope you notice when the men turn around, you really see their muscular backs, you see the sense of it, and that of course is helpful to the lighting that I was initially thinking that this was a, a shiny fabric and the light would be reflected, but it actually does go through. So it is, there is a, a lot of thought put into the men, yes. The lighting is, um, well, you see the, the contours of uh, Damien's face, but I have to say I passed him backstage before the performance last night and thought to myself, oh dear, poor Ed, Damien has aged. <laughs> And um, he was very shadowed, very shaded, I guess I mean, yeah. Okay, another question. Good question. Um, Christopher Wielden obviously has the final say about his piece, but where is Helgi Thomason, the artistic director, in... um, the final say? Uh, well, Helgi has the final say for s- in the same way as 
Christopher does when he's doing his own choreography, his own piece, or anything that's under the umbrella of San Francisco Ballet, uh, he could he does not get in the in the way of Christopher. He might advise him as a, a mentor or just another eye. He might just very very politely suggest. There would have to be an ex, uh, a circumstance where something was just absolutely not okay with him for for him to sort of use a veto power. I have seen him do it, but very, very rare. And certainly with Christopher, he trusts him and has seen him do so many successful pieces that he gives him pretty much free reign in every way, the casting uh, and, and what the ballet turns out to be. And the fact that he hires him. I mean, he asks Christopher to come and do a piece. That's his fate, isn't it? question is about the fabrics, literally the fabrics used in the dress. Mm-hmm. Well, in either. Uh, she, yeah, she's asking the different types of fabrics. And actually, I have to say the top of the bodice is actually a stretch mesh. It's to look more like a real bodice, but it's uh, stretchy. So it's, uh, uh, I pleaded it to give it texture. Christopher wanted it to have a little more texture. The top of the skirts is actually, you could call it a chiffon, but it's actually a polyester no-name fabric. And then... <laughs> And then the bottom, again, is also a nylon-y, no-name fabric that you just find and combine. Uh, I had difficulties with the dyeing process because I did not know that, you know, you never know it until you test it. The fabrics move well, but they were a little difficult to dye. Uh, the dyer woman that I worked with is this incredible artist. I'm so thrilled. I mean, I handed her only a week ago a beautiful set of costumes, all white, and you cross your fingers. But uh, so the fabrics were... Not common fabrics, but simple fabrics, but just the combination is what worked. There was a question. Yeah, you. I'm not exactly sure what the your final question is, but are you saying um, do the cost are the costumes ultimately compatible with the very intricate movement? I guess that's the question. Well, the test it is just to have them do the movement, and uh, I feel like it, it ended up being comp- compatible. And it's true, you're not always sure until they do it. I did use the slits in the women's le- uh, skirts. I ended up putting two, and they were quite high, right where the break of the leg would come. So they. Did, actually did not get in the way so much as you would imagine them to. 
We had a, a great session because Mark is so so organized that he had a complete dress for uh, early on. It was a while ago that uh, Yuan Yuan and Damien actually we held a rehearsal in the studio and she wore the dress. It was white at that point, but it was the same dress and they did the entire pot de to, to discover just how much interference there would be with the partnering. And uh, it was remarkable that there really wasn't. You now dancers deal with this sort of thing often, you know, then, and it just one time through they realize, oh, at that point I push it this way or I do that. And there was one little thing, and that's all the pleading in the, in the center part, was Damien was getting a little bit in, stuck in it. And so Mark just says, no problem, we just tuck that down, and, and now you, it doesn't look any different, but it, there's just a little bit more sewing and stitching around so that the fingers are, aren't going to be going in, in the pleats. That sort of thing, but you know, still little little funny things happen every day. Someone's gonna, you, people, you can s get caught on it if you're rolling. It can happen, but they're 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 smart, the dancers. And if that's happened and you're and you're sort of stuck, you just lift that body part up <laughs> and get unstuck. And mm -hmm. it's, it happens all the time. Yeah. So we've been very these have working beautifully. No, thank you. But I have to say, it is you. You never know what's going to happen, even with years of experience. Each, each, each new beast is its own beast. So uh, the thing is, you have to be spontaneous and work with the dancers. Just to, to listen to what people say, and you, you try to adapt to it. And uh, I think that's what works out. I've always been fascinated by how your artistic vision, the look you want, is then um, crafted mm -hmm. so it's danceable. Mm -hmm. And as you say, with pleating or um, ruffles or um, trim. Trim can be deadly. Um, you know your experience. Tell well, me I have how to, to say, make that work. Yeah, and I have to say it's because I actually make the costumes or with the team make them, so it's different if you are a designer who is not involved in that process, so I always look at it from the inside out more in that sense of, well, that would be great, but it won't move, or how will I make it move like that? And so the fact that I actually make them and construct them is a great help to me. Um, we've got time for one, maybe two more questions up here. How long between the actual commission to do this project and um, probably last night? Yeah, the question is how long does it take? It takes the time you have. If I worked on it from the day and I started until yesterday or even today, still working. And if you have three weeks, it takes three weeks. If you have three months, it takes three months. <laughs> I have heard. She asked the question, when did he get that call? Uh, so I got the call from Christopher Wheeldon in the summer, like June or July, right before he came down here to start choreographing it. Good thing you don't screen. <laughs> I have heard tales of some of the larger productions sending teams all over the world shopping for fabrics and that sort of thing. I imagine you'd have to budget a little more time. I only went about 20 minutes away from where I live. Good thing, good thing. One Met more. Several times, though. <laughs> One more question. Yes, sir.
question is how do we deal with the, the choreographer having sort of his special or favorite dancers, and uh, especially when maybe they're dancing the same role. I, and I think, uh, just like any good teacher, which is what I consider myself, you, you, you really just don't even go there. You just, you treat everybody the same. Uh, it's, it's my job, and, and, and it's Christopher's job too. And the, if, if people feel that way, uh, number one, it's, it's not because, it's not number one because they like each other and they go out to dinner. It's not that kind of, it's, 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 um, it's a camaraderie that is on the level of the art, is on the level of the art form. And if Christopher picks Yuan Yuan, it's because he wants it to look the way Yuan Yuan does it. So anybody who's smart, who's learning the part, will say, I think I need to be a little bit more like Yuan Yuan. <laughs> you know, and th there is sometimes a little tension and people want to make everything their own. Christopher has to deal with it, I deal with it. There's a, there's a point where that's absolutely welcome, but he's the, he's the, the boss and he'll say, yes, I, he, she can do that differently, like I'll take a rehearsal. And I'll say, Masha, I think it's supposed to be to the right. And because I'm trying to do my job keeping the choreography correct. And then Christopher might come in the next day. He said, no, 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 it looks much better on Masha to the left. So there's all kinds of things that happen like that along the way where th things are individualized for individuals. Uh, does that help you at all in your answer? So. And I think um, ultimately time will pass. And heaven forbid. Yuan Yuan won't be dancing here anymore, but this work will be revived. We saw Opus 19 last night, um, 26, 24 years later, um, danced by dancers who weren't born when we did it <laughs> before. Um, so there's going to be an evolution of, of the artistry, I guess, is the way I would frame that. Yeah, it's... It, it, you don't really realize it sometimes from my seat, but the generations in the ballet company are fairly short. I've probably been through 10 at least. <laughs> in, in, because they, they can be from f four years to maybe 10 years, but the transitions, you know, the lifespan of a dancer and his active years of dancing can, can be sh short, and it's never very, very long. It's, n you know, it's not a normal generation. A few people, it's... 20 years, but very few. So this is, this is a constant, you know, constantly shifting amoeba of people who enter and leave the group, you know, the nucleus of what you would say, this is a wielded dancer. You would also say, so-and-so is, is a uh, Mark Morris dancer. So-and-so is a Tudor dancer. So-and-so is a Balanchine dancer. So-and-so is a Robbins dancer. It's, it's just because dancers are types of dancers. They are. There are types, and they fit better into certain places than others. And that's just part of the reality of being a professional. That was a great question. I'm sorry, we do have to quit. Before everybody rustles and gets ready to leave, I want to call your attention to next week's Points of View um, program here, which will be about the music, it will be about Balanchine. We have uh, music director Martin West, and we also have um, a musicologist whose specialty is the ballets of Stravinsky, uh, Richard Taruskin, and he's absolutely fascinating, and I know we are going to have an absolutely fascinating discussion, so I hope to see you here 
next week, same time, same station. Thank you, Anita. Thank you, Mark. You're very welcome. Thank you all.